coming to this uh, service of the Lord's Supper at St. Matthew's online. Uh, let's sing. Welcome again uh, to this uh, service at St. Matthew's online down on the Corso. It's great to see everyone checking in there and I'll, I'll name a few people in a moment. But if you don't know me, my name is Andrew Graham. I'm one of the ministers here at St. Matthew's and it's lovely to have you here at St. Matthew's for the first time. Uh, really, uh, quite a bit of chat going on this morning, so lovely to hear from everybody there. Uh, Brenda, it really is good to be coming together around God's Word. And uh, John and Robin mentioned how much they're looking forward to hearing the next part of the book of Acts 
It is such an exciting story and looking forward to hearing from Scott as he brings us the next exciting episode in the book of Acts as we hear what the Lord Jesus was doing by his word and through the Spirit uh, way back then, which has got such relevance to us today. Yes, uh, to David Gardner, thanks, mate. It, um, it is a wonderful day to be worshipping the Lord, isn't it, as we, as we gather in his name. And uh, to Sally and Mark, thanks for saying hello. And it, this is a wonderful way in, in uh, these times when we can't yet meet together uh, to be coming together as God's people and engaging with him in his word and, and uh, by, by prayer. And uh, today, uh, sharing together in the Lord's Supper. Uh, so welcome everyone, it's great to see you. Actually one of the things we're doing today is as we hear from God's Word, Sue Wyatt has popped in and she'll be doing the reading, uh, so I'm so sure uh, you'll be looking forward to catching up with her. Certainly um, uh, it was just nice to see her and to see her delight coming down into the church building. And we'll say a little bit more about opening up uh, a little later in the service. But uh, right now, before we go any further, why don't we come to God in prayer and ask for his help as we gather in his name. Please join me in this prayer of preparation. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. And knowing Christ as Lord makes us one as his people, one in our faith in him and what we believe. So please join me as we say together what it is that we believe about God and all his greatness and his love in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. Well, it's good to be together as God's people. There's a few things just to let you know about. Uh, firstly, if you're new with us, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to know that you've been here and have a chance to get back to you through the week and add our welcome to the welcome I can do uh, through the camera this morning. Uh, and you could use um, our online connect card, uh, just sign in there and we'd love to hear from you. And of course, uh, for uh, during this time when we have restricted access to one another, when communication is so important, if there's anything uh, you need to let us know, uh, any ways in which we can help anyone who's watching today, please uh, use the Connect card uh, or you could contact us at the office by phone or email. The details are on the website uh, through the week and we'd love to do what we're able. Uh, but welcome again if uh, it's your first time with us, if you're new here with us at St Matthews. Uh, as far as uh, news, it was really wonderful to hear Suzanne reporting about the 
the first get-together for the Alpha Online course this term. Uh, we had a dozen or so uh, folks there uh, last Tuesday night, uh, which was just terrific to kick off that course. Uh, the Alpha course is, is for you if, if you're really wanting to probe questions about life and, and faith and, and God, and it's not too late to join that course. It's Tuesday nights, uh, kicking off at 8 through till 9. Uh, just register on the website, go to the Alpha page and uh, let us know that you'd like to be there and Suzanne and the team would be glad to welcome you uh, online there on Tuesday evening coming up. Uh, just to reinforce a couple of things that have come through on Bruce's emails about our plans for opening up, really great to have reached the 80% mark here in New South Wales. Uh, we're taking a cautious uh, approach to opening up uh, the buildings and the site at St Matthew's. Uh, but it, it will be towards the end of that first week of November uh, that our first uh, public event is on when we welcome uh, youth uh, into the building here and Stuart and the team will do that on the Friday night, the 5th of November. And that'll be that first Sunday in November, Sunday the 7th, when we'll run all four services here live in the building. And uh, just, just so you know, anyone is welcome to come to them. It, it's not dependent on your vaccination status. Uh, so we'll have services at 8 and 10, at 5.30, at, sorry, at 5 and also at 6.30 at night church. Um, we'll also be running live streaming uh, services on those days. So if you're not able to make it, uh, we'll make sure that moving forward, uh, you're still able to be a part of what we're doing at St. Matthew's. Uh, and just to, to be clear, uh, for our staff, uh, for our volunteers, uh, for those who are leading uh, in ministries here at St. Matthew's, it will be really uh, necessary uh, uh, for you and for us uh, to be double vaxxed. We're really keen uh, to do things uh, safely, as safely as possible. Uh, Bruce will send out a little more detail about that in, uh, in weeks to come as we come closer uh, to November. As part of the, um, the Beyond series, which we launched last week, we're looking at the gospel going beyond Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and into the, the ends of the earth, uh, we're going to be hearing each week stories of the way in which God is doing that here in Manly and beyond. Uh, last week, we heard Jaden's wonderful story about what it meant for her to come along uh, to the Alpha course earlier in the year and how she's now a part of what's happening here at St. Matthew's. And today, uh, we're going to hear from a couple of teams uh, that are seeking to take the gospel beyond the walls of St. Matthew's, uh, the ESL team and the Soup Kitchen team. Firstly, the ESL team in a moment, and the Soup Kitchen team video, that'll be straight after the service. Uh, but the, the English as a Second Language team have been doing a great job in difficult circumstances with continuing to teach English uh, to those who need some help in their confidence. And so we're going to hear now from Scott and from Glennis, who leads that ministry, uh, on, on this wonderful video that they've prepared. Uh, so today I'm very delighted to be joining Glennis Brothers in her very comfortable looking home to talk about the ESL ministry. So hello, Glennis. Hello, how are you, Scott? I'm good, and you're well? I am very well, thank you. Excellent, yeah. excellent. Well, let's get straight to work. Um, you're here today because we're, we're profiling the English as a Second Language Teaching Ministry, which normally operates on site at St Matthews, and obviously thinking about how that ministry could continue during uh, the lockdown, the COVID lockdown we've been experiencing. So can you give us a bit of an idea of how ESL as a ministry has kept functioning 
during COVID lockdown? Okay. Well, Scott, last year it started for us and we started um, thinking about all the time we were actually not with them and not able to teach them English. And just knowing that the Lord wanted us to do much more than that. And so we actually got onto Zoom last year and we very rapidly had to become Zoom, um, well, I don't know, perhaps, you know, the top of the board Excellent. in Zoom because, yes, absolutely. We were ready to put up our hand. Um, right. And so, as I understand it, I think we've got some footage. Uh, there's the, the, the wider ESL group will break into different, um, you know, um, beginners classes, intermediate classes, advanced classes, yes. kind of separately over Zoom, and different um, teachers will, will host those different kind of meetings. Yeah. So obviously that's going to be, that's one of the, the real um, uh, challenges, I guess, of yeah. doing ministry online, but you experience that even more acutely with ESL ministries. Any other kind of um, particular challenges that you think you've faced? Oh, well, every, every technological challenge you can think of. <laughs> I, I can't imagine that it's easy trying to... Uh, to give instructions about working software like Zoom to people who um, English is not their first language. There's just oh yes for them yes. Um, what would you say would would be some of the opportunities or encouragements that you've experienced during this lockdown phase, apart from just the encouragement of being able to continue? Well, I guess that. Many of those um, students have become very, very dear to us because of things that they are going through during the lockdown as well. Mm. And many of them do love the Lord. We, we start off first with Bible reading uh, and it's, it's wonderful to have them knowing that God is part of this as well. Mm. They are beautiful people. They are people who are so wanting to learn because they've now been left here for two years, yeah. um, many of them who were intending going back. Um, last question for you for now at least. Uh, anything else you'd want to say about the ESL ministry as a whole? Well, as a whole, for me, who takes um, and, and with Moni Gomez set up ESL nearly 10 years ago now. Mm. We both um, know that as a group, um, many of us um, are getting a little bit older mm. and maybe God is moving us on. Um, but there's certainly just a need for us to have some beautiful people who are just know that the Lord's speaking to them yeah. about actually coming and teaching English. So you'd be happy to have other people join in this ministry um, and uh, I guess not just bring the, the peculiarities of the English language to the students, but also the, the warmth and the generosity and the good news of the gospel as well. Exactly, yes. Well, the, the invitation is there, I think, so um, look forward to people showing some interest. Um, well, thanks, Glennis, for your time today, and it's been um, 
great encouragement to hear a little bit about how this ministry has continued to soldier on um, whilst so many other things that we've been able to do as a church have had to stop. So thank you for your time. Well, great to hear from Glenis uh, about the, the work that God's been doing through her and the team uh, amongst uh, guests uh, who come along to ESL. And as I said, we'll also be hearing from the Soup Kitchen team straight after the service. Uh, but right now we're going to come before God in prayer. So please join me as I lead us. Uh, God, our Father, we ask that you'll quieten our minds and still our hearts as, as we come before you, the holy creator of all things. We thank you and we praise you for your unequal glory and your rich mercy. May we never tire of giving you the honour you deserve. And Father, as we listen to your word in the book of Acts, we ask you'll be giving us a heavenly perspective on the world around us. We pray that you'll work in us to renew our passion, to see people everywhere, learn to honour and trust you. And we pray that it would be your pleasure to use us to share the life-giving message of Jesus, of the forgiveness that comes through his love with those around us. And we ask that the message of Jesus would be welcomed with joy here in Manly and way beyond. And this week we want to thank you for the love that's extended by the ESL and Soup Kitchen teams. Uh, we pray that you'll guide and strengthen them as they prepare to return to face-to-face -to -face classes in the case of ESL and to sit-down meals at Soup Kitchen. We pray that uh, ESL students will gain much-needed confidence in communication in English and that Soup Kitchen guests will receive nutritious food and a warm welcome. We pray too that many students and guests will come to know your grace in Christ. And Lord, we thank you for the long service of Glenis and of others on the team. And as she's mentioned, uh, the need for others to join in. Uh, we pray that you'll raise up all those who are needed to keep extending this ministry. Within our own church community, we pray for one another. Uh, knowing there are brothers and sisters in all stages of health, physically, mentally, emotionally and spiritually and that you know and see each one of us, you know where we need extra support or challenge, we pray you'll provide it and we pray that you'll send your spirit to work, us, work in us to refresh and energise us to serve others who need our help. May we be a community that is distinctive in our unity in you and our love for one another. Lord God, you bless us each day with the gift of life and relationships and with simple pleasures that bring us joy. We pray that each day you'll keep shaping our disciplines of humbly reading your word, of seeking you in prayer and seeking your wisdom daily. In response to your love and goodness, may we always choose your way. Amen. We've got a chance to sing again.
welcoming Sue White uh, back to church. <laughs> What's it like to come in here this morning? It's so good to be back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, back with everyone. Yeah. And you're going to be reading the Bible for us in a moment, but it would just be nice to catch up with you a little. Um, so for many weeks, this week has, has been the week of opening up. We, we, we called it uh, Freedom, Freedom Day on Monday. Um, anything that you and Dennis uh, particularly enjoyed this week? Oh, we just had the best time. Uh, we went across to Croydon where our son's family lives yeah. <clears throat> and that's three bridges. And so that's a long way in yeah. Sydney in lockdown. But we got to see, spend time, had, a, had dinner with them, lots of hugs, and we got to celebrate our granddaughter's 18th birthday that happened three months ago. So yeah. we had an awesome time. Yeah. It was very exciting. And we also went out to dinner at the RSL Club with friends and just laughed and ate and laughed and ate, and it was amazing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. there have been some really important things that we've been missing out on, so it kind of adds to the joy, doesn't it? Oh, just to be together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there's also been something quite significant happen in your, your household. So your husband, Dennis, has suffered with a terrible neck mm. uh, issue, and there was an operation recently. Mm -hmm. So how's that all worked out? This was the most amazing answer to prayer. We yeah. were referred to a neurosurgeon who... Uh, we had to wait quite a while to see him face-to-face. -face. When we did, he was very reassuring and said he could help. Mm. So Dennis went into North Shore Private two and a half weeks ago and had surgery on his cervical spine and he had three discs replaced, um, bits of metal put in, all kinds of stuff. He came out the next morning and there was no pain. Yeah. The max he had was Panadol. Yeah. And he is now moving his head from side to side. He mm. can. He was struggling with his balance and his walk. Now he's walking mm. confidently. Yeah. And this is just an extraordinary answer to prayer. Yeah, we're yeah. so excited. Yep. I, I saw him out walking your dog the other day and I had to look twice. I thought, mm. firstly, that guy looks like Dennis. And then I realised it was. Mm. So it's a very difficult thing to live with chronic pain. Mm. And so he now knows the relief yeah. of that. Yeah. Well, praise God for that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We're very yeah. excited. Yeah. Yeah. Would you read for us sure. from the scriptures? Thank sure. you. So the Bible reading today is from Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 30, and then we'll read chapter 13, verses 1 to 3. So I'll just give you a moment to check the passage. It's Acts chapter 11. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. 
One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Now we're just going to move to Acts 13, verses 1 to 3. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod to Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the lords and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. This is the word of the Lord. Well, uh, thanks be to God. And also thanks to Sue for reading so eloquently this morning. Uh, hi, 8 o'clock. I hope you're all well. Uh, keep Acts chapter 11 open. You're going to need to do that. I'm going to pray for us and then we'll get underway. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, your testimony to the spread of the gospel in the book of Acts. And we pray that it might speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, corporate mission statements didn't become a thing until the mid-1980s. I hope you know what I'm talking about, those one or two sentence uh, aspirational, inspirational statements that describe what an organisation exists for or perhaps what it dreams of becoming that typically uh, get framed and hung on walls and printed on flyers, very prominent on websites. They weren't really a thing before the 19 or the mid-1980s. And some would say that they're actually outdated now. I don't think so, but just because you've got a mission statement, it doesn't mean that it's going to change your world. For starters, there are some pretty ordinary mission statements out there. Now, I want you to have a guess what industry this mission statement comes from. To provide authentic hospitality by making a difference in the lives of people we touch every day. What industry do you think that might be from? Well, it's actually from an airline, uh, Southwest Airlines in the US. Now, frankly, I don't care about their hospitality if they can't land the plane safely, right? We enjoy great fried chicken, but then we crashed into a mountain. That's a problem for me. And uh, I don't want them to touch me any day, for that matter. Well, here's another disappointment. See if you can guess where it's from. To be one of the world's leading producers and providers of entertainment and information, using its port... <sighs> Folio of brands to differentiate its content, services, and consumer products. Now, you will be amazed to believe that is Disney. Disney. We're talking Little Mermaid, Lion King, Disneyland, more recently Toy Story, Finding Nemo, and Star Wars. Don't you think there should be somewhere something in Disney's mission statement about imagination, about storytelling, about magic? So you can have a dud mission statement. But actually, the bigger problem with mission statements is making them make a difference. How do you get what's hanging on the wall to make a difference down the hall, in the factory, in the office, in the studio, in the kitchen, wherever the real work happens? That's the real test of a mission statement. Is it just words, or do those words lead to a change in action at ground level? 
And the reason why I've started with mission statements today is because the church has its own mission statement. And I'm not talking about St. Matthew's Manly right now. I'm talking about the entire Christian church, really the Christian faith. Um, Do you know where that mission statement is and who crafted it? Well, I'm sure many of you do. It's called the Great Commission from Jesus in Matthew 28, verse 18. It goes like this. Then Jesus came to them, that's the 11 disciples remaining, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to obey everything I commanded, including this command, I suppose, right here in Matthew 28. So the question before us today is whether this mission statement, this commission statement, beautifully crafted, wouldn't you say, quite inspirational and aspirational for a little movement of only 11 people at this point, has it made any difference at ground level? It looks great on the wall. Does it change what happens in the hall? And well, today I'm pleased to say that in Acts chapter 11 it does in quite a remarkable way. And so we're going to look at that. Uh, It's our second week in the Beyond series, which plots the spread of the gospel beyond Jerusalem from Acts chapters 10 to 19, as we consider proclaiming the good news of Jesus in Manly and beyond, particularly at this time as our city reopens and people re-emerge from lockdown. And what I'd really like to do today is to look at the uh, constituent parts of the Great Commission, each element of it, and see how it plays out in a large city called Antioch in Acts chapter 11. So it's really important for you to have that open in front of you. And then we'll think about any applicable principles for us on the northern beaches of Sydney. Well, the first element of the Great Commission is go and make disciples. And you can see from chapter 11, that's Acts 11 verse 19, that the action has moved north of Jerusalem, out of Israel, to Phoenicia, which is kind of Lebanon, uh, to Cyprus, an island in the Mediterranean Sea, and then to Antioch in Syria. And actually from verse 19, we're reminded that the early disciples of Jesus didn't really go to these places, at least not voluntarily. They they ended up there after escaping the persecution in Jerusalem, after Stephen was killed by Jewish officials. And you might remember a certain Saul was giving approval to Stephen's death. But Back in Acts chapter 11, verse 20, the action focuses on the city of Antioch in Syria, which is significant in itself because Antioch was the third largest city in the Greco-Roman world behind Rome and Alexandria in Egypt. Did you know this? I didn't know this. It had half a million people. It was a political and administrative center. It was a commercial center. It was a cosmopolitan melting pot of cultures because as you can see on the map, map, Antioch connected the, the urbanized western mediterranean world with the eastern desert and so it contained the usual greek population and there was a jewish community but it had people as far away as persia that's iraq and even as far as india and china it was known as antioch the beautiful famous for its long paved boulevard flanked by a double colonnade with trees and fountains like forget byron bay this is where you are planning your freedom trip It was sort of like a Paris of the ancient world and a significant place. But back in Acts, these unnamed disciples, especially those from Cyprus, that's the island in the Mediterranean, 
and Cyrene, that's modern-day Libya in North Africa, took the gospel to Antioch. In Acts 11.21, the Lord was with them, even though they remain unnamed, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Insignificant people with a significant ministry. Anonymous people are part of a famous work of God. Go and make disciples. Well, they well and truly did that. They went to a new place outside Jerusalem, beyond Israel, and they caused a ruckus. But when we consider the second part of the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations, we can detect a second significant element to this work of God because these unnamed people from Cyprus and Cyrene took the gospel, it says in verse 20, to Greeks also. Uh, You see there in verse 19, the scattered Jerusalem Jews, Jewish Christians spoke about Jesus wherever they went, but it didn't occur to them to to speak to people who weren't also Jewish. I mean, I don't know if they didn't get the memo uh, from Peter after the conversion of Cornelius that we looked at last week, uh, or even in verse 18 where it says that even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Or, or maybe they ignored it because it made them quite uncomfortable. But these chaps from Cyprus and Cyrene got the memo. At the very least, they got the idea that this news was too good to keep to the Jews. Greeks or Gentiles needed to hear it too. And boy, did they devour it. And in fact, if you were to scoot ahead or flip um, over to Acts chapter 13, verse 1, we learn that both rank and file believers and the Antiochian leadership mimics the diversity of the city. Right? There's Barnabas, he's a, a Cypriot Jew. There's a guy called Simeon, also called Niger, which means black. It's where we get our word Nigeria from. So he was a, a black man from sub-Saharan Africa, Ethiopia or the like. There was a guy called Lucius from Cyrene, that's North Africa, as well as Manaean, who grew up in the royal household as the foster brother of Herod. That was the king who killed John the Baptist. So quite a mix. Disciples of all nations now leading and discipling disciples of all nations. Well, I don't know if you heard that story of the village idiot who stumbled upon the town priest who was baptizing people in the river. And he thought he'd join in. And when it gets to his turn, the priest dunks his head under the water When he gets back up, the priest asks the man if he found Jesus, to which the man replied, no. So the priest dunks him underwater again, this time a little longer. And again, when he pops up, the priest asks the man the question, have you found Jesus? For a second time, he says, no. So the priest dunks him under one more, and this time he's underwater for quite a while. And when he comes back up, the priest asks for a final time, if you found Jesus? And the man goes, are you sure this is where he fell in? <laughs> I hope you like that. It's hard telling a joke to a camera. <laughs> a baptism. It's a sign, an outward sign of an inner reality that people have found Jesus. Uh, that is, believed in him and turned to him to use the words of uh, verse 23. Of course, the sheer act of being dunked in water or having it sprinkled uh, on you doesn't make you a Christian, but it symbolizes that you become a Christian. And although uh, it doesn't explicitly mention baptism in our passage today, we know from the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, you can read that story later, or after the conversion of Cornelius that we looked at last week, that these early converts were baptized pretty much when they first turned and trusted in Jesus. 
so that Jesus' command to, to baptize disciples could be almost thought of as a code word for that early stage of conversion, you know, of first belief. Now, did that happen here in Antioch? For sure it did, it tells us, in great numbers. But the job is not done once someone becomes a Christian and gets baptized. That's really the start of a lifelong journey of discipleship, of study, of following, uh, of learning about Jesus. And what the Great Commission calls teaching them to obey. And so we see uh, in Antioch, this happened in verse 24 onwards. Head office, the church at Jerusalem gets wind of the fact that lots of Gentiles are turning to Jesus in Antioch. And obviously they're interested in this new development. No doubt some would have been suspicious. Some would have been curious. But the Jerusalem church sent Barnabas, which was a great move because Barnabas was encouraging. In fact, his name meant son of encouragement. What a great name. Now, as it turns out, he was a Cypriot Jew, so Greek by birth, Jewish by creed. So he's already a bit of a mixed offering and would have had a wider sympathy than the kind of strict Jewish Jerusalem Christians. And in verse 23, Barnabas was so glad to see this new work of God when he arrived at Antioch. He encouraged them to go the distance, to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. And he stays there, continuing to teach and encourage these new believers. But good leadership usually leads to good fruit. And so lo and behold, verse 24, with the presence of Barnabas, and for the second time in just a few verses, another great number of people were brought to the Lord. Well, that's terrific. But uh, now there's a pretty big job for Barnabas alone. And so he realizes that if he's going to disciple these new believers, teaching them to obey, he's going to need backup. And so he recruits the Apostle Paul, who's still known as Saul here in verse 25, and together they'll teach the church. And you'll see great numbers mentioned for a third time there in verse 26, teaching them for a whole year. And you imagine that that church, well, that's pretty good tutelage. And it must have been pretty good tutelage because the believers there garnered quite a reputation, so much so that they earned the distinctive name Christians for themselves for the first time there in Antioch. Apparently the residents in Antioch were quick-witted and they uh, enjoyed nicknames. Maybe they also had local, locals called Damo and Tomo and Bluey and Mad Dog. And I don't know whether this term Christians was a, a term of derision or curiosity or even affection, but the instruction of Barnabas and Saul had made an observable difference to their lives, which could easily be traced to their worship of this one called the Christ, so much so that they were called Christians for the very first time there in Antioch. Now the second way that you can tell that these early followers of Jesus had been taught and were teaching one another well what Jesus had commanded arose when Agabus predicted a severe famine. That took place in AD 45 to 48 and it's attested to by the historian Josephus. Because these new Gentile believers, they don't say, oh, look, it's not really our problem. Uh, they don't even say, mm, not much we can do about it, but we'll pray for you. Look at what they do in verse 29. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. That's back in Jerusalem. Now, I want to say that sort of generosity is not native to us as human beings. To give to people you'd never met, 
to even refer to them as brothers and sisters and to give funds in advance of the need. I just don't think that happens. That sort of generosity in advance from each according to ability to those according to their needs only came from teaching and instruction in the word in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so these new disciples in Antioch, Antioch the beautiful, were beautiful themselves. They had lived such distinctive Christian lives that the locals were impressed enough to give them a nickname. They lived such transformed lives that they gave money and even loyalty to other Christians of a different ethnic background whom they'd never even met. They had turned to the Lord in great numbers and then been taught in the Lord to great effect. I don't know if you know this lady. Her name is uh, Joan Rivers. She's uh, an American comedian, or she was, and she was a real pioneer for female comics. She was the very first woman to host uh, her own late-night network television talk show in America, and she's been uh, counted as a major influence of many of today's top comedians, including David Letterman, John Stewart, and Amy Schumer. Now, towards the end of her career, she became as well-known for her cosmetic procedures as for comedy. Uh, she even joked about herself that she's, uh, I've had so much plastic surgery, she said, when I die, they will donate my body to Tupperware. <laughs> so good to have a laugh at yourself. This is what she quipped about domestic life. I hate housework. You make the beds, you do the dishes, and six months later, you have to start all over again. Now that actually is the kind of thing with housework, isn't it? You, you do it, and then you start all over again. And that's also the thing with the Great Commission, the, the mission statement of the church. You go and make disciples, you baptize them and teach them to obey. But one of the key things you've got to obey is the Great Commission, to go and make disciples. And it starts all over again, which of course is so much more exciting than housework. So in uh, Acts 13, verse 1 to 3, the diverse leadership team of prophets and teachers, you know, you've got Barnabas, Simeon, Niger, Lucius, the Libyan, Manaean, and Saul, under the instruction of the Holy Spirit, start all over again. They designate Barnabas and Saul for the next phase of the mission. They pray and they fast and place their hands on them and then send them on with the new phase of the mission to reach Gentiles with the good news of Jesus. And I'm sure it didn't escape your attention that they were prepared to part with their best. I mean, Barnabas and Saul are every team's first draft pick, aren't they? But the church in Antioch sends off their best to start all over again. Well, did Jesus' mission statement make a difference at ground level? It certainly did in Antioch. Early disciples went and made other disciples of all the nations, converting and presumably baptizing them, teaching them to obey Jesus to the extent that it made a noticeable difference to those watching on and even those far away. And then it started all over again as Barnabas and Saul head off. I guess the question for us is whether that Great Commission or even our mission at St. Matthew's to grow God's church through the gospel to make faithful disciples in Manly beyond. Hopefully you can see the connection between those two mission statements. Well, does that make a difference at ground level here? That's the question before us. And maybe it's worth asking what part you play in it all. 
I mean, for starters, all of us mix with people who don't yet know the good news of Jesus. Wasn't it interesting to read in Acts how those who'd been scattered from Jerusalem and those unnamed innovators from Cyprus and Cyrene, they just told the good news about Jesus as well. Um, this time to Greeks, they, they just told people. And of course, there are just people in our lives who we can tell there are. There, there are people we can invite to Alpha, people who come along to ESL, soup kitchen, people we just mix with day to day. I mean, I actually think this is a good reason to return to working in the office if you're still working, uh, when it's safe, for at least a few days a week to mix with people whom you can tell. Of course, we ought to follow the Antiochian example, be prepared to open our wallets uh, to support those who go to other nations or other parts of our nation with the news of Jesus. And we will be asking people to do that in a few weeks' time. But living where we do in this era, don't you think the nations of the world come to manly? Which is why our mission statement talks about manly and beyond. You see, there's plenty of action on both fronts, as we've just seen. Some of us might be more involved in the, the front end of things, telling the good news to people who don't know it yet. All of us, I think, are involved in the teaching side of things because we're all disciples, and disciple means student. We all need to be taught, and we're taught better together, which is why when we open up again, we'll be asking you to return if it's safe for you to do so. And of course, some of us will be more involved on the teaching front, people like our kids' church leaders, like our persevering patient ESL team uh, like our youth leaders like our growth group leaders such as Sue who week by week have spread the load and devoted themselves to teaching groups about faith and obedience and I'm so uh, thankful to them for all their efforts especially during this lockdown and of course some of us and hopefully it's the best of us the prompting of the Holy Spirit will leave us to start all over again in a new ministry, in new places, to continue to grow God's church beyond manly. And the rest of us should be ready to send them off with our prayers and our blessing and our encouragement. Well, that might be a special few. But most of us, pretty much all of us, in one way or another, can tell, can speak, can learn, can teach can give, can go, so that that church which first grew from Jerusalem to Antioch quite explosively might continue to grow in Manly and beyond. Well, amen and amen. Uh, and as Andrew mentioned, please stick around once the service is done to see how the Soup Kitchen team have done just that. Now we're going to sing.
now we've got an opportunity to share together in the Lord's Supper. Uh, many of you are very familiar with this, with uh, this simple ceremonial meal in which we, in a very concrete way, remember uh, some of the really significant things about our faith as we go back to the first, um, the first uh, Lord's Supper, uh, as Jesus, on the night before he was betrayed, uh, shared it with his disciples. Uh, the scriptures describe it in this way. Uh, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way after the meal, uh, Jesus took the cup and when he had given thanks, uh, he gave it to them saying, drink from this all of you this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, in preparing ourselves to share in the Lord's Supper this morning, uh, it's right to acknowledge that none of us even live up to our own standards, let alone the standards of our holy God who made us and who loves us. So please join me in making a humble confession of our sins to Almighty God. Most merciful God, we humbly admit that we need your help. We confess that we have wandered from your way, we've done wrong, and we've failed to do what is right. You alone can save us, have mercy on us, wipe out our sins and teach us to forgive others. Bring forth in us the fruit of the Spirit that we may live as disciples of Christ. This we ask in the name of Jesus our Saviour. God is slow to anger and he is full of compassion. He forgives all who humbly repent and turn to him in Christ. There is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. Amen. So brothers and sisters, I, I hope you did manage to find some bread there at home. Would you now take some bread? And as you take and eat this bread, remember the body of Christ that was given for us. And would you take the cup and as you drink, remember the blood of Christ that was poured out for our sins and for our forgiveness. And please join me in this prayer of thanksgiving. Lord and Heavenly Father, in your loving kindness, accept our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. Grant that by the merits and death of your Son, Jesus Christ, and through faith in his blood, we and your whole church may receive forgiveness of our sins and all other benefits of his passion. With gratitude for all your mercies, 
we offer ourselves to you as a living sacrifice through Jesus Christ our Lord. Send us out in the power of your spirit to live and work to your praise and glory. Amen. Well, it's been great to be together uh, through this medium this morning. Uh, there's still a couple of things to do, uh, including watching the Soup Kitchen vision, uh, video right after we've heard the, the organ postlude. But right now, I just want to say how, how lovely it's been to see people uh, chatting this morning. Uh, Mary Bailey, lovely to know you're there um, with us today. And Max and Rose, uh, it just does me good to see your names in the, in the chat section there, as it does uh, Bob and Lois and, and everyone else there. So wonderful to, um, uh, to hear from you. And if you're not um, able to get onto the chat session, that's fine. It's been great to have you as well. Hey, um, Chris Bannon says something uh, very relevant, I, th I think. Really looking forward to seeing one another in person, uh, which can't come too quickly. Uh, November the 7th, uh, that first Sunday in, uh, in November. Uh, it's been great, hasn't it, to hear another, another episode, can I put it that way, in the story of what Jesus continued to do by his word and through the Spirit. Uh, when people all over the place were hearing about Jesus, were being baptised into the name of the Father, the Son and the Spirit, were learning of him and being taught of him and and, and disciples were making disciples. And it's finally getting to the point that it's, it's, it's becoming the case that people who are not from a Jewish heritage are coming to know Jesus. The gospel goes beyond Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth and it's come here to Manly. And uh, as, we, as we work our way through this series on going beyond, it's lovely to be hearing the stories. Uh, uh, last week, um, I've forgotten the lady's name, it's terrible. Uh, but who came along to Alpha. So there's the Alpha course, which is a way of, of teaching people about Jesus, teaching them to obey everything he's said, uh, to hear today uh, about ESL and Soup Kitchen. Next week, we're going to be hearing about community chaplains, a group that we're, we're seeking to train and send into local communities where Jesus is not known. Uh, there's a role for each of us, whether it's a, a formal role like that or whether it's just praying about what it'll be like to get back to the office, uh, to be seeing others around Manly that we've been cut off from. That's uh, really what we're looking to inspire, to inspire one another, to be praying for one another, that we, like those first disciples, would be effective at making disciples. Uh, one of the things that, that our growth group decided we'd do last week is we're going to be praying for one another to be effective in that way, and, and we're making up a list of names of people we know and love that we'd love to have a chance in some way of, of helping them, teaching them to become disciples of, of Jesus, even if just a, a little step at a time. So we're going to be doing that over the next couple of months. I wonder what, you, I wonder what this series is inspiring you to do. As we, as we wrap up, before we hear the postload, and then and please do stay on for the Soup Kitchen video, uh, let me entrust uh, you all. Uh, let's, let's entrust one another. Uh, to God's care. Our brothers and sisters, may the peace of God which passes all understanding keep our hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his, his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And may the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit be among us and remain with us always. Amen and Amen.
Okay, well, this afternoon I am joined by Larry McKittrick and Kristen Savides, and they are two of our excellent uh, volunteer helpers at the Soup Kitchen Ministry. And today we want to hear from them about how the Soup Kitchen Ministry has continued or been able to continue through this extended lockdown period that we've all been going through. So, Larry, I might throw to you first. Exactly how has the Soup Kitchen Ministry continued? Most of us, if we've got any um, sense of it, would would know of soup kitchen existing in the function room, lots of people at tables, uh, some people going up for like a, a Bible study afterwards, but we've not been able to do, to do that. So what exactly has the soup kitchen been able to do? Yeah, well, it's um, been able to uh, adjust to COVID, um, primarily the, um, uh, the loan of a caravan by C3 uh, Church at Oxford Falls and uh, Vivian and I go and uh, pick it up each week. And basically all the guests um, get uh, at least two meals and a dessert. Uh, yeah, right, so, I mean, so what, we've got some pictures that um, people will be able to see, but if you were to rock up along Daly Road about five o'clock, six o'clock on a Monday afternoon, your car would be there. There'd be a little caravan out the back. So it's almost like a food truck serving meals out of that. Um, and it's, it's quite a spectacle, isn't it? Yeah. In a, when the soup kitchen used to be inside, and I've only experienced that briefly in that period between first lockdown and now this second one. But you know, we had you know, at least a dozen or more uh, volunteers on top of the, uh, the, the cooks, et cetera, that would come and engage with, with the, uh, the guests. So um, yeah, it's, it's the appearance of things and, and the actual logistics have changed a lot. So, Chrissy, tell us um, tell us how things have been going from your perspective as one of the volunteers. Um, well, the the biggest um, situation that I think I've noticed is the lack of real engagement that we have um, now that we're outside and we can't really ask our guests to you know stay back and chat. We we can still engage with them and check how they're going. You know, um, it really does feel like. Uh, a family situation you know you're always checking on them and we do have regulars who live in the area as well so we see them um, you know pretty much every week and we have a few who do um, travel possibly just outside the <laughs> zone. <laughs> Let's keep that between ourselves. Yes. <laughs> sure now you, you were saying earlier um, I mean there's obvious um, kind of logistical uh, limitations and there's just some relational limitations if you, as you've just described. Um, you would also say there's been some new opportunities that this different phase of the ministry has opened up. Yes. Um, I think the, the biggest one, the impact of um, being on the street is you're totally visible now. Um, so there are quite a few new guests that have um, started coming since we've been outside. Um, which is wonderful because I think that can, you know, um, become an ongoing relationship and I think their reluctance to come in now may be wavered because of relationships we build up outside. Um, also, I think uh, it's lovely for the community to come and communicate with us, you know, say hello, what are you doing? Where are you from? It's it's both community and guests um, who I think um, are the two areas that we gain from being so visible outside. And, and I also noticed um, 
there's a there's the the van that uh, Larry brings in. There's also a, another large van with the, a big kind of medical <laughs> medical sign on it. So what's yeah. that all about? Um, Streetside Medics. It's uh, the founder is a young doctor um, from Royal North Shore, and he comes with a number of other doctors and nurses. And it's the most incredible van. Um, it has uh, free services for any of our guests. They can do ultrasounds, blood tests. Um, they can do x-rays in this van. And in the last, I think it's been approximately a month, they've been giving the Pfizer vaccine, which has been amazing. Um, so, you know, seeing some of the big smiles on our guests' faces when they've received their vaccination is just heartwarming. Um, in other situations, obviously, they wouldn't have been vaccinated. So um, the doctors are brilliant and we've built a big relationship. They've actually been coming um, to St Matt's since I think about August last year. So that's been a wonderful relationship that we've built up um, and worked together. Yeah. So literally um, folks can come along outside the church, they get a, a warm welcome, uh, a hearty nutritious dinner, possibly protection against the virus. Yes. Um, all just as a as a part of the ongoing ministry of Soup Kitchen. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, um, thank you both for um, joining us and being a part of this. And I, I, I want to say that we're uh, exceptionally thankful for all the work that you guys do, along with Di and Vivian and Lynn and all the folks who cook the Soup Kitchen. Uh, it's just um, quite moving, actually, to see the way that um, the efforts of our ordinary folks um, really spread the love and warmth and grace of the Lord Jesus beyond the walls of the church. So uh, thanks again for being a part of things. And um, we look forward to when at least some parts of the ministry can return to normal.